What is up everybody and welcome to Rock Video Rental. I am Brandon and with me as always is Caleb. Caleb, have you been watching anything cool lately? Um, not a whole lot. But I did uh so I've been doing Rick and Morty now instead of Family Guy. Haven't been watching it as quickly as I've gone through Family Guy. Um just because I don't have it on in the background, I'm trying to watch and pay attention to it so I don't get lost or anything because I'm still yeah. trying to understand <laughs> the show for what <laughs> how much you can understand it. Yeah. Uh, but I did watch a movie this week, um, and it was the 2011 movie Drive. Okay. Have you seen that? Um, no, I haven't, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah, so Ryan Gosling... Um, and a couple other notable people and he is a he lives out in hollywood and he works in a mechanic shop but he's also a driver for stunts and movies and i don't really want to say anything more than that because that's all i knew going in and this movie completely like blindsided me (laughs) okay because i didn't really understand what direction it was going to go in and so it really went a direction i did not think it was going to go in um very intense um movie entertaining it was good um but yeah uh quite the interesting movie to say the least so if anyone's uh and I don't really know anything to compare it to, but um, it's rated R for a reason. <laughs> Put it that way. For reasons. Don't don't watch with your kids. Which this the night I was watching it was one of the nights when my kids kept coming out of their rooms, so I oh, had to geez. had to watch out. Because <laughs> in our house, I know it's a little bit different than yours. Because uh, your kids are upstairs, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. All, Our, yeah, bo- all of, yeah, both of the bedrooms are upstairs. Yeah, so we, we're we basically all on one floor. I mean, we have a basement, but everybody's on one floor, and their rooms are at the end of the hallway. And so as soon as they walk out of their rooms, they can see straight down the hallway <laughs> and to the TV if it's not turned. So, yeah, good times, good times. But oh, yeah. outside of that, I mean, not a whole lot, so... I'm sure you usually have quite the uh, list to go with. Yeah, I've been watching um, odds and ends of stuff. Um, Last week, Netflix dropped uh, Tiger King 2. (laughs) So I watched that and it kind of (laughs) sucked. I mean, the the first season of my wife and I talked about it, like, it was stupid. You know, the whole Tiger King series. Uh, it was stupid, but it was entertaining and more of like, what the heck is wrong with these people kind of thing. Yeah. And then this one, it was just like, kind of just telling us what they were doing now. Like, nothing's really changed. Like, it just seemed kind of pointless. It was just a a grab to try to get more people to get on Netflix again. Oh, yeah. Um, Let's see. What else have I been watching? Uh, They also dropped... The new Christmas season of Sugar Rush. And I know you've watched that before. Oh, yeah. So we watched a little bit of that. No spoilers. Um, no spoilers. No, no. I'm just 
but still watching some dumb episodes of Wife Swap. Uh, I watched the Three Stooges movie from 2000. It was a made-for-TV movie. It was like a short like biopic about their lives, mostly about Mo. Um, it was pretty, it's pretty decent. I mean, it's a made for TV movie from 2000, so nothing too great. And they, it was really rushed and, you know, of course some of the facts were changed and, but still pretty entertaining. Hmm. Uh, I watched the movie, the firm, the Tom Cruise movie, tiny Tom Cruise. Yeah. Tiny Tom Cruise. Uh, that was pretty decent. I've never seen that one before. Um, I watched Fatal Attraction uh, with Michael Douglas and Glenn oh, yeah. Close. That was a good movie. Yeah, I was trying to. Um, yeah, man, Glenn Glenn Close was amazing in that movie. I mean, Michael Douglas is always good too. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that was another first watch for me. And other than those, on Sunday we took my daughter to her first movie in the theater. We went and saw Clifford the Big Red Dog. Whoop, whoop. And, yeah, not a bad movie. I mean, it was decent for a kid's movie. It had some funny parts in it. Five out of five? <laughs> no, maybe like a three. Mm. Some of the CG was kind of rough. But, yeah, it was entertaining, I'll say. And I mean, for a kid's movie, it wasn't bad. Rock. But yeah, that is pretty much all I have, so let's jump into the movie of the week. It is now 7.06. You have exactly 8 hours and 54 minutes to ponder the error of your ways. Any questions? Yeah. Does Barry Manilow know that you raid his wardrobe? A brain, a beauty, a jock, a rebel, and a recluse. I can't believe this is really happening to me. Before this day is over... They'll break the rules. <coughs> Chicks cannot hold a smoke. That's what it is. Bear their souls. I'm a nymphomaniac. Are your parents aware of this? Take some chances. Being bad feels pretty good. Huh? And touch each other in a way they never dreamed possible. Why'd you do that? Because I knew you wouldn't. The Breakfast Club. They only met once. I don't want to be alone. You don't have to be. But it changed their lives forever. I mean, I consider you guys my friends. I'm not wrong, am I? Universal Pictures presents Emilio Estevez, Paul Gleason, Anthony Michael Hall, Judd Nelson, Molly Ringwald, and Ali Sheedy in a John Hughes film. Why are you being so nice to me? Because you're letting me. The Breakfast Club. And this week's movie is 1985 teen drama comedy, kind of. (laughs) The Breakfast Club. It was directed by John Hughes, also written by John Hughes. Uh, The plot for this one is five high school students meet in Saturday detention and discover how they have a lot more in common than they thought. Uh, The cast for this, we get Molly Ringwald as... Claire Emilio Estevez as Andrew, Anthony Michael Hall as Brian, Alan Sheedy as Allison, Judd Nelson as Bender, and Paul Gleason as Vernon. Um, This is one of like the seminal movies of the 80s. 
like usually when you see a list of top 80s teen movies this is either like number one or in the top three even mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, this is the one that kind of changed a lot of stuff uh, and there was a few John Hughes movies that came out before this one so I guess maybe this is when he kind of perfected that formula of you know he, John Hughes is always really good at writing dialogue for teenagers and understanding uh, how they talked and how they interacted with each other so it always felt very genuine and this movie is a kind of a prime example of that yeah it was surprising watching it again because it's been a while since i've seen it at how how well it was written yeah um kind of an interesting movie because it's really only shot in one location (laughs) it's all inside this library but uh i mean the movie starts out the first thing it got my attention was like the title screen where there's a glass explosion yeah i <laughs> forgot that? about that <laughs> i mean that happens in the the intro to the original friday 13th so it kind of like caught me off guard yeah I was <laughs> it just seems like, very is, out of place is this an action movie and it's like i've seen this movie dozen probably a dozen times and like every time i see that i'm like oh man i forgot about that part <laughs> it's just because it's so like off tone and very out of place. Mm-hmm. So basically, you know, you get like this hodgepodge of, you know, five students that are all completely different from like different groups thrown together in this detention. And it, it kind of goes on for the, for um, the length of the movie, kind of just their interactions and, um, you know, the things they get into that, the conversations they have and we start off with meeting mr mr vernon who's i mean i'm not really sure what his position is is he like a guidance counselor or like a vice principal or something like that uh, yeah i always thought vice principal because he's definitely not the principal i mean he's kind of a dick to be a guidance counselor <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> um yeah that's a, a i kind of figured vice principal too um he starts off with him like laying down the law telling them everything you know they need to do he's like you're gonna write this uh essay i can't remember how many words it was supposed to be like a thousand words or something yeah i think it was a thousand and it's funny how he's saying it he's just like you're gonna talk about um who you are why you're here kind of thing and um you know, he says, when you write this, I don't want you just writing the same word a thousand times, Mr. Bender. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, we, you know, we got to get introduced to Bender here as he's the, the troublemaker. And, um, you know, kind of has no direction in life and is just a complete and utter pain in the butt. Mm-hmm. Uh and then we get like a funny interaction between Bender and Vernon where Bender <laughs> says like, I have a question, sir. And he's like, what? And he's like, does Barry Manilow know that you raided his wardrobe? <laughs> and then like all the other kids are trying to hold back laughs. Uh, and it's, you know, during this scene where we get to meet our characters and even when they're dropped off, they're all dropped off in different ways. So we get, you know, Bender, I said, is kind of like the troublemaker. And like you know that he pretty much just 
spends every Saturday there in detention. Mm -hmm. Uh, We get Molly Ringwald's character of Claire is kind of like the popular girl. Uh, Emilio Estevez's Andrew is the jock. He's a he's a wrestler. Anthony Michael Hall's Brian, and he's like the the nerdy smart kid who's part of the chess club and all that kind of stuff. Uh, then we get Ali Sheedy as Allison. She's like the weird kind of goth girl <laughs> who like doesn't speak for like the first half hour of this movie. Um, so this is like the group we have to deal with. Everybody's very different, but we find out later on that they have more in common than they think. Like the, the plot said, we're not so different. Are we? <laughs> we're not so different. You and I, I, I saw a lot of changing going on. Uh, if I could change, <laughs> you could change. You know, the whole Rocky Four thing, pretty much. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, so, you know, after Vernon takes off, he goes into his office, and now, like, the kids are just having conversations back and forth. And it's just Bender's driving everybody nuts because he's just a complete jerk. Mm hmm. Um, and we get like another scene that really cracks me up where, you know, Vernon's got the door open and Bender goes and like pulls the screw out of the hydraulic. So, so it just like slams shut. And then Vernon comes in and he's like, where's that screw at? And, you know, Bender's just kind of like, sir, who would steal a screw? I mean, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> and so he's like, get over here. He's like, help me prop this up. And he goes to set a like folding chair in front of it and Bender's just like sir that the door is way too heavy for that and he tries it and it just like knocks the chair over and he's like just kind of just pissed off so he gets this magazine rack thing and he has Andy help him push it in front of it and he's like oh that's Bender's like it's that's a great idea sir he's like but what if there's a fire we can't get out Yeah, and then Brian chimes in, and he's like, oh, actually, there's always four exits in every room. (laughs) (laughs) And Bender's just like, shut up. So it's hilarious in this part, because Andy's trying to get past the magazine rack, and he's like, falls over. (laughs) And then he's like, what are you doing? He's like, get this out of here. Yeah, Vernon was uh, a great cast for that, because he played a good jerk. Yeah, for sure. Um, Well, I was thinking at the same time, though, too, um, like, I don't know. I I never did detention. Did they do, like, Saturday detentions? I feel like that wasn't a thing. Yeah, my school did. I don't know. Maybe they did. I always knew that there was after-school stuff. Um, But Saturday detention? I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there probably was, but um, like, what would you, he essentially left them there on their own. It's like, what do you do for eight hours? I totally would have slept. <laughs> yeah. You weren't allowed. I had Saturday detention one time um, because oh. at my school, if you got three tardies in one class in, a, oh. in like a marking period or whatever, you got a Saturday detention. Oh, Yeah. And I had this really ridiculously stupid teacher that, like, I was in the classroom walking to my desk, and the bell rang, and she marked me as tardy because I wasn't sitting in my chair. 
Oh gosh, I hate yeah. teachers like that. And that was my third one. So then I had to do Saturday detention. And it wasn't eight hours, it was four hours. Okay. That seems but, more believable. But still, like we had to like sit there. We couldn't um sleep. We couldn't, you know, play games or anything like that. You either had to like do homework or read a book or write. Yeah. Well, he they fell they talked and they obviously fell asleep and did a whole lot more <laughs> during that eight hours. Yeah, we had a we had this classroom aide. Her name was Mrs. Costanco. <laughs> she was a little Mexican lady and she was hilarious, but um she was like the Saturday detention monitor. She laid it was down just the it was law. like me, it was like me and a bunch of troublemakers, so I was like really out of place because I never really got in trouble. <laughs> But yeah, I think I ended up just doing my homework. So then like the rest of my weekend was free. <laughs> but it wasn't like a huge deal. It was boring because it really only took me like two hours to do my homework. But I should have had Stallone as Judge Dredd be the monitor. <laughs> you talk, you just get shot. I am the law. Ah. <laughs> uh... So now we get like some of the conversations and stuff and they're kind of, they're all kind of talking about their lives and their parents and everything. Um, and that's when they start to like realize that, you know, all their lives are flawed. Like they might not be as perfect as, you know, Bender seems to think that everybody else has got like this perfect life, mm-hmm. you know, because his is so crappy. His home life is pretty bad, but you know, we figure out more and more stuff as it goes on. Yeah. Um, it was kind of hard to, uh, after I finished the movie, trying to think about the key points on the key conversations, because that's basically what this movie is. Oh, yeah. Since so, well, since essentially so little happens, I mean, it takes place in one location. Um, very few key events happen. Uh, I mean, there was the beginning where everybody came. There's a couple other th- scenes that we're going to come up to, but really kind of that's it because then everything else is just different conversations. And I had a hard time keeping track of what conversation, like the order of the conversations. Yeah, it's, I've always said that a fair amount of stuff happens in a breakfast club, but it doesn't really accomplish too much. If that makes sense. Not a uh, lot of things get done, but they grow as characters. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's that growth. And then that final, um, Oh man, that final realization, the final climax or pinnacle of, everything kind of coming together. Um, And yeah, I mean, really, when you think about it, I mean, this whole thing takes place over eight hours Mm -hmm. and not a lot happens, but a lot grows from it. Yeah. I guess would be a way to piece it together. Mm -hmm. Probably the next most memorable scene is when they have the lunch scene. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, We get to see... You know, just the differences in all of them. So, like, Bender doesn't even have a lunch, (laughs) which is not surprising um, from what he talks about with his home life. Uh, Then we get Claire has sushi, 
which was really re- weird in the 80s like that was a very trendy and like rich thing at the time i mean it's more accept acceptable now and like you know easier to get a hold of but like back then it was more of like high class people well a couple things with that too is one she didn't keep it cold (laughs) right and yeah and two it just like i i kind of had that thought process too and it's just like when how where do you even get that in the 80s that much and they had to have bought it the night before, I guess, or something, because there's no way they would have picked it up on the way to school at like eight o'clock in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> right. Gas station sushi. <laughs> oh, gosh. And then uh, Andy's got like this enormous lunch that's like, he's got two sandwiches, a big bag of chips. Um, was it like a thing of juice, a donut? An apple and an orange, or apple and a banana. Yeah, apple and banana. <laughs> He's got like a full-on grocery bag just full of stuff, and everybody's just like staring at him. <laughs> and it's obvious, like, you know, he's trying to go up and wait. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we get uh, Allison, who's the the quote-unquote basket case. And <laughs> we see her, like, assembling her sandwich, where she opens it up, she peels off the olive loaf, and then sticks like throws it and it sticks to the sculpture behind her <laughs> Then she takes pixie sticks and empties them into the sandwich and then puts cap and crunch on top of that closes the sandwich and eats it <laughs> uh, which oh my gosh that's disgusting <laughs> that's so gross uh she does a lot of like, gross things in this uh there's a part two where she's got like a drawing that looks like something that Bob Ross would paint. Yeah. <laughs> and then she like scratches her head and like all the dandruff falls on it. So it looks like snow. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, lastly, we got Brian's lunch, which is another one of my favorite Bender moments where he, you know, starting to get his lunch out and then Bender goes and takes the bag from me. He's like, what are we having today? And he's like, Oh, He's like, what is this, milk? And he's like, no, that's, that's soup. <laughs> and he's like, oh, peanut butter and jelly with the crust cut off. <laughs> and he's just like, the the line that cracks me up the most, he's like, well, Brian, this is a very nutritious lunch. All the major food groups are represented. <laughs> he's like, tell me, did your mom marry Mr. Rogers? Brian says, no, Mr. Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, that was one of the greatest parts. Yeah, <laughs> because Bender is such a dick, and Brian's just completely oblivious that like Bender's gonna make it fun of him. Yeah, they do a really good job because I mean, when you stop and you think about it, this is just another scene to reinforce how different they all are. Yeah, and um, so it was. It had its purpose, and they did a good job with making it interesting and still entertaining. (laughs) Yeah. And this feeds into kind of like one of the next big parts, which actually I believe is um, because right after talking about Brian's lunch, um, Bender, I think, goes into what a day in the household of Brian looks like. Yeah. What he says is basically like, leave it to Beaver. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
And so he does that. And then of course, uh, Andrew chimes in and is just like, well, if that, if you're making fun of him, then what's your average day looks like. Yeah. And that's when, uh, probably the biggest, um, one of the biggest serious turns comes in so far in the movie. I, I remember taking note of it where everything else was kind of like, okay, these are kids. They're being jerks to each other. They're, you know, yeah, going back and forth. And then this is where things got serious when Bender talked about essentially the abuse that happens at his house. So uh, kind of brought a, another emotion and tone to the movie. Yeah, and then of course, you know, Andy doesn't believe it. He thinks that, you know, Bender's just kind of putting on a tough guy look and trying to seem like a badass and everything. And Bender rolls up his sleeves and shows that he's got like a, a cigar burn on his arm. Mm-hmm. And then it's, like you said, when the mood kind of changes, um, you know, and we get a little bit more of them talking about you know, the things that aren't very good in their life. And then we take another turn where, um, Bender busts out, uh, some weed and then they all smoke it and get high. (laughs) All of them except for Allie. Yeah. She was the only one that didn't. Yeah. I realized that because I was just like totally waiting for her to do it. And I was like, oh wow, they don't actually ever show her doing it. So she never got high. So I guess that happened. <laughs> yep. uh, oh, we also forgot to mention the part too, where um, they sneak out of the library to go get the drugs. Yeah. That's, they sneak out to go like, get the drugs from Bender's locker. Um, and then they have to like try to race back. So Vernon doesn't know, but. And how big they all is get that back school? And, Right. What the heck? There's like multiple floors to it and everything, but you and I also went to small schools. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did. My my wife went to the one that was in town. Like I was uh more outside of town at that high school. Yeah. The one in town has multiple levels, but still, even I mean, I know it's not a Chicago suburb, but yeah. it wasn't even close to that big. <laughs> right. Yeah. My graduating class had fifty people in it, so we had like 110 i remember when i was at college um i was talking to people about different high school stuff and somebody was from texas and they said that they had uh shuttles between different parts of campus because their campus was so big i believe well everything's bigger than texas yeah ridiculous (laughs) (laughs) so they're all trying to like rush back to the library before vernon gets there Uh, they realize they can't make it and they're like, oh, we're going to get caught because we, you know, they, one of those fold out like chain link wall things. They run into that, like trying to make a shortcut. They're like, oh man, we're all going to get caught. And Bender's like, no, only one of us. So then he like goes in the gym and starts shooting hoops and making a bunch of noise. So Vernon goes and finds them. Becomes he a hero. Yeah. He doesn't know that like everybody else was out too. They just made it back during his distraction. And that's we get like another classic interaction between Bender and Vernon where you know he's like, I'll see you next Saturday. He's like, Good. He's like, Well, you want to make it another one? Sure. He's like, Okay, you got the next one. And he's like, No, I'll have to check my schedule to see if I have it open. 
he's like, well, he's like, you know where you'll be. You're going to be here. You're going to be here with me. And it's just like back and forth. And basically Bender's going to be there for like three months straight. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, you know, then we get the scene of them uh, smoking the weed and then you know, more kind of stuff comes out where, you know, Brian's talking about the pressure and stuff in his life. And how he thought about killing himself. And this is when we get like the reason why they're all there. Mm-hmm. Where um, we the reason Claire's there is because she skipped school to go shopping. Um, Andy's there because he like attacked some kid in gym class and taped his butt cheeks together. <laughs> And the kid, he's like, the kid was like, you know how hairy he is. And when they pulled the tape off, ripped off some hair and skin. Oh, man. Yeah, basically, you know, he said he did it just because he feels like he had to because of his dad. And Yeah, it's we, terrible to think about, out. but it's also, I mean, it's a funny story. Yeah. <laughs> and then Brian's there because, you know, he said he was going to kill himself. And they're like, oh my gosh, did you have like a gun? He's like, well, it's a flare gun. And then it went off in my locker. <laughs> oh my gosh. Which is, everybody just starts laughing. And he's like, it's not funny. And then he, then he starts laughing. <laughs> and then we find out the funniest one is Allie. Or Allison. And she's there because she didn't have anything else to do. <laughs> yeah. She just showed up like she's not even supposed to be there. Oh my gosh. Uh-oh. And uh, I don't know if you mentioned it, but Bender was there because he pulled a fire alarm. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, the Vernon kind of mentioned that at the beginning. Um, and during that conversation, so this this is probably another one if not the biggest moment in the movie where they all because see like this i kind of realized this too for the first time watching this where it's just like you know the people you become closest with are the ones that you become the most honest with Mm -hmm. and so for whatever reason they decided to get really brutally honest with each other yeah uh which seems extremely unlikely but still this this is the movie um and so they they learn a lot about each other. Um, you know, I mean, you learn more about how everybody doesn't like their life. Most of it stems between poor relationships with their parents. Um, and then some of them talk about having no friends or having friends who pressure them into things and mm-hmm. all sorts of crazy stuff, which is typical high school stuff. Um I mean, most of those things are uh, stuff that we saw in high school, heard about different things like that, that different people had to deal with. So, but it was, I feel like that uh, was kind of the most important part of the movie right there. Yeah. And, you know, with that scene too, they get to, they talk about like their sexuality and everything too. Pretty much like who's done it. Oh yeah. And then Allie <laughs> Allison pretends that she has. Yeah, just and to she's, get <laughs> and that she's a nympho and like she was sleeping with her um psychiatrist. And that, that was just basically just like goad um 
Claire into saying that she's a virgin. Yeah. <laughs> Another thing that Allison is just so weird. Yeah, she's like, oh, I haven't done it either. And they're like, what? She's like, yeah, I'm not a nymphomaniac, but I am a compulsive liar. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. And then, you know, around this time, too, we get the famous dance scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, you know, this is where the movie starts winding down and, you know, they get to the end of it where um, they have to finally write their essay and Brian decides he's going to write for like all of them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is where we get to reading it at the end where it's like, it doesn't matter who we are because you see us for what you think we are. And then it's when he goes off with like the nicknames of, you know, the princess, the brain, the head case, the jock and the criminal. And, yeah. you know, that's kind of one of the more famous parts of the movie. Um, the funny thing about that specific part when he's writing that is that um, Andrew and Allison are having their moment. Mm-hmm. And then Bender and Claire are having their moment. And then Brian's just stuck by himself writing a paper and it made me laugh so hard because he was so proud of it. He like kissed it. And I was like, dude, (laughs) that's kind of sad. Sincerely yours, the breakfast club. And then Bender fist pumps when he's walking through the football field. (laughs) Yep. But at the end, you know, we get to see, you know, like a relationship budding, you know, like you said, between Andy and Allison who Claire gave a makeup makeover to so she looks less scary. <laughs> yeah, they so Claire gave her a makeover and then she Claire and, gave her earring to yeah. um to Bender and, and Brian wrote a good paper. <laughs> <laughs> and Allison grabs ripped a patch off of andrew's jacket i know that she just kept stealing stuff which was awesome yeah (laughs) yeah that when bender gets that knife and he stabs it into the chair (laughs) you see her like in a quarter of the screen just reach over and take it (laughs) yeah it's like dude you didn't notice that (laughs) right Uh, well i had a couple of funny things um well i guess first things first because they address in the movie um and i'm sure it's kind of like a big conversation thing after it's done what do you really honestly think happened that next monday at school yeah that's a good question i think things went back to the way they were i think so too like if anything i feel like brian andrew and possibly allison could have maybe intermingled together. Yeah, I can't see Claire and Bender working out. Yeah, I don't see that working out. I feel like those those were the extremes. Yeah. Um, and so I really kind of don't feel like that worked out. But um, <laughs> one thing that I thought was really interesting, though, because I was paying a little bit more attention, is at the very end of the movie when everybody was leaving... Like, nobody seemed to care that their kids were making out with someone. <laughs> I thought the same thing, dude. None of them were just like, who the heck was that? 
Yeah. It's like, I've never seen you with that person before, or especially like, um, Claire's mom or dad, whoever picked her up. It's like, who the heck is that guy? Yeah. Or like honking the horn or yelling out the car, like, come on, let's get moving. Yeah. (laughs) Because I'm sure like none of the parents were happy that they had to drop their kid off at Saturday detention. Yeah. Of course, Bender, he just walks home. (laughs) (laughs) And then they're sitting there waiting for them to get done making out to get in the car. (laughs) Yep. I thought the same thing too. (laughs) That's funny. It's like, if I ever, like, if I got dropped off at Saturday detention by my parents or like one of my parents, and then I proceeded to like make out with a girl in front of them. (laughs) Yeah. I'm sure they'd be like, let's get moving. Like who the hell is that? Or like, what the heck is wrong with you? (laughs) I think both, I think my dad would have been like surprised and would have been like, Oh, all right. No, whatever. Yeah. But my mom would have been like, what are you thinking doing? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But that's, that actually kind of leads into uh, another thing I had written down to ask is, do you feel like there was one character you could relate to more than the others? Mm. I can go if it gives you a little bit more time to think. Yeah, maybe maybe you go first. So I was kind of split split between two. Uh, the first one I would say is probably Andrew. Um, just like it, well, it there's a huge mix between all of them. Yeah. Um, but I'll say this. I mean, it, it, it's such an interesting movie because I feel like all these kids were the firstborn i mean you saw it with brian brian got dropped off and he had like a sister or somebody in the front seat but generally in life the firstborn has it worse than the other siblings just because they are the ones that have to break in the rules um i don't know (laughs) that's funny you say that because we're both second borns (laughs) Exactly. I was wondering how this conversation would go because my brother, he considers himself the black sheep of the family, like between in our family and our whole and all our cousins. Yeah. Like he just, he, he butted heads with my parents and things like that. So I was the one who watched him and it was just like, okay, well, I'm not going to do what he does. Yeah. Um, and so I had a good relationship with my parents, uh, still do. I mean, yeah, sure. There was some normal stuff there. So the whole thing, uh, a bunch of the drama in this was my parents ignore me my parents you know bully me around they're abusive you know they expect better things from me academically and all these sorts of stuff so I didn't have too many uh extremes of those but I felt kind of where Andrew fell in the mix was a little bit where I was because I play basketball it was the only sport I played I never really considered myself a jock but I was a little bit in those circles. Um, and so I, I felt there was a, a little bit there that I connected with, but then the other one that I, I was a little split with, and this is going to sound a little bit funny was actually Allison. Okay. Uh, but that's mostly because if I wasn't doing sports stuff, I was doing art stuff. Yeah. And she definitely came across it. Well, I mean, she did that cool landscape sketch but she came across as kind of like the artsy fartsy one Mm -hmm. uh you know very secluded uh didn't really want to talk to anybody um and but the other element that kind of made me 
think that I could relate to her more was that she said that she felt ignored by her parents or that she was ignored by her parents. Um, I, I, I never really felt that, but it it was the truth. And so I have a really funny story to go with this. Like my wife thinks our communication in my family is horrible. (laughs) My wife thinks that with mine too. (laughs) (laughs) So it's absolutely horrible. And so here is like the staple story of how bad communication was in my family. Um, I was in high school. I was at least 16 because I was driving um, and I ran into somebody who knew my dad. And so he said, oh, hey, by the way, when does your dad get back into town? And I looked at him and I was like, I didn't even know my dad was out of town. <laughs> and so that, that was the truth that my dad, my dad traveled quite a bit for work, but usually, you know, I knew when he was gone, but there was a time that he was out, gone on a business trip. Somebody else knew about it. And I living in the same house as he did, did not realize he was out of, out of town. Oh, that's hilarious. So that's, that's why I kind of thought I could relate to those two kind of best, but did you feel like uh, there was one or two that you kind of related to more? Um, man, it's tough because, you know, these are such exact stereotypes. And extreme too. Yeah. And like, I don't feel like I really fell with many of them. I guess maybe somewhat Brian, because I was always expected to get, you know, good grades. You know, for the most part, I did. I mean, I'm an art major, so <laughs> I'm not very good at math. Did you fail shop class? <laughs> no, I didn't. Um, which was a part of the movie, too. Forgot to yeah, that. <laughs> which, you know, I took shop class and I did pass it. I didn't do like amazing, but I don't know. But that project he talked about did sound pretty tough. Yeah, it did. <laughs> yeah. All I had to do was make a shelf, <laughs> made a bookshelf. Um, I, I guess Brian um, and maybe a little bit of Allison because of the artistic side. I guess I felt more like Allison in high school or in college than I did in high school. Mm, yeah. Where I don't know if you had the same experience I did. I mean, we were in the, a lot of the same classes and had basically the same major, but like in the art classes, you felt more at home because almost everybody else is the same. But when you took gen ed classes, you felt like the weirdo. Oh gosh. Yeah. I hated yeah. gen ed classes. Yeah. Me too. Like I felt like the, like I would go and sit down in class and no one would come sit by me. <laughs> <laughs> I had my one shining moment in a gen ed class. Um, the teacher hated me cause like I did not pay attention and like my phone went off one time in class. And so I was just <laughs> pegged as, not uh a good student you were the bender (laughs) the bender yeah but then at the end we had to do a presentation and so i did my own sketches for the presentation for each slide yeah and she's just like you made all those slides i was just like yeah and i was like i walked away i was like (laughs) i'm good at some stuff sincerely yours the breakfast club (laughs) drop the mic Yeah, um, I guess maybe just those two because of that. Yeah. I mean, I, I did play some sports in like junior high, but I didn't really, I was always super into sports, but I never 
I never played any sports in high school. Yeah. Um, so my last kind of question then is, did you have a favorite character out of the five students? Oh, watching it this time, I, Bender probably. Okay. Just because he's a jerk and he's just <laughs> funny. Yeah, he is the clown of the group. I feel like that's probably where people go to the most is mm-hmm. Bender. I probably, the first couple times I watched that, I probably felt that way. Um, I mean, I still like him. Um, I'm sure that there are plenty of people who like Emilio or like Claire. Brian is probably the people that uh, the person that people like the least, just because he's uh, kind of uh, awkward. I was going to say he was my second favorite. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Um, maybe I was wrong, but for me, the one that I probably liked the most, just because, as I said, she was the I felt like she was a typical art student was Allison because uh, I went to art school for a very short stint, but man, would she have totally been your staple art student in college? (laughs) So I had a couple friends that were like that. And I just, I felt like I could relate to her. Uh, I just enjoyed watching her throughout the whole thing. So rock. Uh, so the next part, you, man, the, the acting, the acting is solid all around. Like there isn't a weak link. Yeah. I honestly forgot at how much, I mean, I knew it was there, but I kind of forgot how much, uh, explicit language there was in this one. <laughs> um, cause again, like I said, I'm right down the hallway from my kids' rooms. Yeah. <laughs> And so I was like, oh my gosh, volume, volume. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, like just like the execution and uh, how well it was written and then delivered. Uh, very, uh, it's such a small cast. Everything, everything was really good. Even um, oddly enough, the very small side story of Vernon and uh, Carl, the janitor, Carl, the janitor. Yeah, even Carl the janitor was pretty strong. Yeah. For such a small role, he did a pretty good job. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, it's very rare, like in an ensemble movie like this, where there's no real main character. It's like a whole group um, that everybody is really solid in their acting. Uh, I guess, you know, you mentioned the writing is really good. The dialogue, yes, yeah, is, is really good. It, a lot of it seems like real, like, everyday conversation that yeah. someone of that age would have. So it feels really authentic. And that's really where John Hughes shined. And that's mm-hmm. why his movies have um, aged so well, even. I mean, there's some things that didn't... I mean, if I remember right in this movie... Somebody gets called the derogatory term for a gay person. Oh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> and I mean, that was a product of the 80s, even of the 90s. So you can't really judge it on that. But I mean, that part didn't age well. Um, and, You know, I always go back to 16 Candles with Long Duck Dong. That didn't age well at all. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, another big product of its time. But... 
in its core, like the message that it gives and the problems that they have are still relatable. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously still happen, you know, today. So it's kind of evergreen in that way. Yeah, I was trying to pay attention to that as well. I was really surprised that thinking, you know, it, it really is a, a lot of it is timeless. Mm-hmm. You know, that it can, anybody could really relate to, um, you know, just as much now as they did then, so. Yeah. Oh, and then the last thing is soundtrack. It's got a pretty iconic soundtrack, or I guess a Koic soundtrack. Um, I mean, Don't You Forget About Me by Simple Minds mm-hmm. is probably one of the top 10 songs of the 80s <laughs> and most recognizable movie songs like now, everybody this... that hears that song is like oh that's from the breakfast club <laughs> yeah did this movie make the song popular or was the song popular and this movie used it i believe this mo- the song was meant for the movie if oh, i remember okay. right hmm. and the movie did so well that i think that's why the song did so well okay but i got a little bit of that in trivia and facts but uh, you want me to jump into that? Um, one one thing I want to mention, because I forgot to mention it going through a favorite. Uh, it's not going to be an exact quote, but one thing that um, I wanted to make sure to mention was Carl, the janitor, talking with Vernon. Yeah. And Vernon was complaining about the kids. And he's just like, oh, these kids, you know, they're just getting worse. And so they're they're so disrespectful. And uh-huh. Carl was just like, no, the kids aren't changing, man. He's like, you are. Yeah. And I was just like, uh, that might not be completely applicable. <laughs> <laughs> because if you look at how different things are now, kids have definitely changed. Oh, yeah, for sure. I saw something the other day about with one of those stupid videos online where a kid picked up a mop bucket and threw it at a teacher. Oh my gosh. And I'm just like, what in the world? Like back then, that kid probably would have gone to juvie. Yeah, probably. Now the expelled. Te- yeah, now the teacher has to worry about, you know, getting sued by the parents if he does anything. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Anyways, <laughs> that, that stood out to me. Oh gosh. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, okay, so trivia and facts. I have lots of trivia and facts for this. It's one of those movies where there's just an explosion of stuff. Oh yeah, I'm not too it, shocked to hear that. It was really hard for me to whittle it down, so I just put a whole bunch in here. <laughs> uh, so the scene in which all the characters sit in a circle on the floor in a library and they tell stories about why they were in de- detention, none of that was scripted. Uh, John Hughes told them to all like ab- ad-lib it. Huh. So were they... Uh, they, uh, um, sorry. So I'm guessing though that they had the little parameters though. They knew why they were in there, but they just kind of rolled with the details. From what I'm seeing, from what I read, that none of that was planned out. They he told them just to come up with um stories of why their character would be there. Oh wow! So that's even more impressive that Ali Sheedy, you know came up with a I didn't have any but I had nothing else to do <laughs> so it just shows up at detention that makes that even better and I think that's 
like a genuine reaction you get when everybody laughs. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. If all the, if all of those reasons, heck, if any of those reasons, even just one was brought up, was made up by those uh, young actors and actresses, that's impressive. Yeah. It doesn't surprise me. Uh, So John Hughes later said that his biggest regret about the film was using the breaking glass effect uh, (laughs) during the marijuana scene. Oh, during the oh, where, hmm. where Andy goes into the office and screams, and the gra- the glass breaks. <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah, but that's that. That's another part. It's really weird. When I first read that fact, I thought it was going to be the intro one. <laughs> yeah, that's why I laughed because I thought that's what a, we had just been talking about. <laughs> right. Uh, so Judd Nelson, who plays Bender, he stayed in character, off camera. Uh, he was even even like bullying Molly Ringwald. Uh, John Hughes nearly fired him over this, but Paul Gleason, who played Richard Vernon, uh, defended Nelson, saying that he was actually just a good actor and he was trying to get into his character. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So Judd Nelson improvised the part at the closing of the film, where his character fist pumps when he walks off into the um sunset and um john hughes asked him to play around with a few actions and that's what he he came up with um when he was done and they were finishing it up and nelson just kind of like threw up his fist without running it by everyone everyone ended up loving it and then it became like the iconic symbol of the 80s yeah yeah and it was um kind of parodied from there on so oh yeah i've seen that all over the place this movie was actually shot in sequence okay yeah which is kind of rare uh john hughes wrote the screenplay for this in two days gosh yeah that's how much of a genius he was uh so it was originally suggested that there would be several sequels to the movie um and they were going to occur every 10 years in which the group the breakfast club gets back together uh this didn't come to pass and it was due to the volatile relationship between hughes and judd nelson uh hughes later stated that he would never work with nelson again hmm. and also it was unclear whether or not Hughes still held ill will against molly ringwald because uh, they had a falling out in the late 80s after she refused to um take any more teen roles and moved on to more adult stuff. Huh. And I'm kind of happy it doesn't have a sequel. It didn't need one. Yeah. I think it would have been kind of interesting if they did some movies that were based on those characters, but they weren't at like specifically those characters. Yeah. Like if they use that as almost kind of like a, Hey, you know, this is, a person uh, they wouldn't even have to explain it but just kind of you know something with that loose connection where it's just like oh claire grew up now she's yeah. working a job and doing this and so you can be like oh this is another john hughes movie oh i could see this person as being claire when she grows up and just you know one of those loose ends yeah so judd nelson he went undercover at a local high school and it was outside of chicago 
uh, near where the film was being shot. And he actually convinced the teenager, the teenagers, that he was a legit student. Uh, he actually bought them beer with his quote-unquote fake ID. Uh, it was actually a real ID because he was 24 at the time. <laughs> uh, Nelson told them to drop him off at a hotel uh, where the actors were staying. Uh, years later, like reflecting on it, he said that um, he's like they would ask me why I was staying there, and I told him that my dad was in jail, and I was staying at the Weston, and uh, while he was incarcerated. <laughs> So Anthony Michael Hall's mom and younger sister in this movie are his mom and his younger sister. Nice. Yeah. Uh, so here's a casting what if thing. Uh, John Cusack was actually originally supposed to be Bender. Mm. Which I love John Cusack 80s movies, but he does not fit the Bender character. No. He always played a good like slacker, but not like a troublemaker slacker. Yeah. He was always kind of like the likable loser in you movies who... like Better Off Dead. Yeah. You know who I thought could have been Bender? Who? Was Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. I thought about that too. Or Charlie Sheen. Mm-hmm. Um, so John Capellos, who was Carl the janitor during the movie, he jokingly warned the actors not to overdo their intensity. Uh, he laughingly noted that Char- that Martin Sheen suffered a serious heart attack while filming Apocalypse Now. Mm. Capellos was unaware that Emilio Estevez is actually Sheen's son, whom was offended. <laughs> oh, he got really pissed off about it, and he didn't know why, and then he found out that Emilio is Martin Sheen's son. <laughs> Ouch. Emilio! <laughs> <laughs> so the song uh, Don't You Forget About Me was written by Keith Forsey it became a number one hit for Simple Minds the song was turned down by Billy Idol who later re-recorded it for his greatest hits album and his cover is actually not too bad because I mean the, the lead singer for Simple Minds kind of sounds like Billy Idol <laughs> yeah I actually was thinking about that and I was just like wait what (laughs) so the ages of the cast we got judd nelson was 25 uh, when they filmed it because he was 24 before when he bought the alcohol for the kids (laughs) Uh, molly ringwald was 16 emilio was 23 anthony michael hall was 16 and ali sheedy was 23 so that's why they showed them kissing and not Judd and Molly. Yeah, probably. Because that would be awkward. So Emilio was originally supposed to be Bender. But Hughes couldn't find anyone to play Andy, so he switched him over. (laughs) So there's a part where when they all get high and Brian says in in a dumb voice that he later uses in Weird Science... Uh, chicks cannot hold their smoke. That's what it is. Which is a line from a Richard Pryor stand-up routine. <laughs> uh, so Sheedy auditioned for the role of Samantha in 16 Candles, which is also a John Hughes movie. Which ended up going to Molly Ringwald. Um, during auditioning, she actually had two black eyes from an accident. 
And when she uh, auditioned, it made her look dark and kind of gothic, which ended up staying with John Hughes. And then it led her to getting the role for this movie. Hmm. Here's another interesting one for Bender. Nicolas Cage was considered for the role of Bender. Ew. <laughs> but 80s Nicolas Cage, he might have been able to do it. <laughs> Maybe. This one was probably one of my favorite ones in this whole group. So the character of Mr. Vernon was based on a wrestling coach from John Hughes's high school who actually flunked Hughes in gym. Hughes ran into the guy later and the coach said that the movie was really good, but the teacher was kind of a jerk. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah, it's hilarious. So if Hughes couldn't get Emilio to play Andrew, his choices were going to be Michael J. Fox, Jim Carrey, your boy Tom Cruise, Matthew Broderick, or Rob Lowe. Which, um, Michael J. Fox would have been weird because he's so small. Yeah. Jim Carrey would have been weird because it's Jim Carrey. Too funny. Tom Cruise, I, I guess maybe. Matthew yeah. Broderick, I can't see, but Rob Lowe I could definitely see. Yeah, Tom Cruise and Rob Lowe I feel like would have been the best alternatives. Yeah. I feel like Andy was too much of a nice guy, though. And Tom Cruise is always kind of a jerk. <laughs> so it's another interesting one uh, Rick Moranis was actually going to be the janitor and he okay. like grew his beard out and he was going to use a Russian accent um, Ned Tannen who was um, part of the production he opposed of it and replaced him with Capello's he said he didn't like um, Moranis's, uh comedy for this movie yeah, I'm glad they didn't do that. It this movie didn't need added comedy. It needed to have a serious undertone. Yeah. So speaking of Jim Carrey, he also auditioned for the role of Bender. Hmm. Which I don't know if he could do that. I I was shocked to see that Charlie Sheen wasn't even considered for the role of Bender. Right. <laughs> I just felt like you know, if they couldn't have got Judd Nelson to do it, that he would have been the next best choice. Mm-hmm. Um, John Hughes said that getting the film greenlit by Universal wasn't easy because the executives complained that there were no bare breast, no party scene, no guys drinking beer, or other things thought a teenage picture should have at the time. They had smoking weed. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, there was no there was no boobs and no drinking. I mean, I guess it was kind of a party scene with the weed. So Stanley Kubrick loved this movie. And he loved Anthony Michael Hall's performance in the movie. So much that he wanted to cast him as Private Joker in Full Metal Jacket. And after months of negotiations, Anthony Michael Hall finally turned it down. And he ended up giving the role to Matthew Modine. That worked out well. Yeah, which I still think Anthony Michael Hall probably would have did a pretty good job in that. Yeah, I think he would have. And this was one thing that I noticed they wrote down. Did you notice who Anthony Michael Hall's dad was at the end that picked him up? No. He was John Hughes. Oh, really? Yep. 
That's funny. <laughs> and the last thing I got is this movie cost one million dollars and it made fifty one and a half. <laughs> so it was just a little bit um profitable. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, see, those those are always the ones that intrigue me the most when it's just like the budgets don't have to be that big and they find good success. Mm-hmm. I bet you a lot of the budget went towards the cast. Yeah, I, I bet it did too. Especially, I think, probably the biggest name out of the bunch at that time was Molly Ringwald. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at the poster and she's like right in the middle of it, so. Yeah. Uh, I guess Anthony Michael Hall probably would have been a bigger name at the time too, because he was in Sixteen Candles as well. Okay, so let's get into grades. Uh, I pulled from IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes. What do you think those are? I think I saw this in passing. So, <sighs> URDB. Uh, IMDb is it eight point five? No, 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 no. It's um. 9.1? No. The 7.8. What? Okay, you... maybe I didn't see it. Maybe I saw some other number. I have no idea what that number would have been. <laughs> <laughs> when I watched it, there were some numbers of, of ratings and things like that. Maybe I'm losing my mind. Um, must okay. have been. So then for Ron Tomatoes, Critic, let's do... Uh, 85 percent 89 you're pretty close okay so maybe i saw that one uh for audience 91 percent dude very close 92 percent okay yeah I, those were probably the two scores i saw the critic and the audience so yeah so our grades you want me to go first you want to go first i can go first because it's i'm already set ready to go um i mean kind of looking back over the other john hughes movies that we talked about this month ferris bueller uh uncle buck ferris bueller's day off and dutch i gave a five to ferris bueller's day off i mean this is not in the same category as ferris bueller's day off because that one is obviously full comedy with a little bit of drama in there this one is full drama with a little bit of comedy um, but I mean, just the success at, you know, knocking mostly everything out of the park, uh, the cast, the writing, the delivery, the soundtrack, just really great all around. And the fact that, uh, gives it even more is the, uh, like I said, the timelessness of this movie. Mm-hmm. how a lot of it can still be uh relatable today uh easy five out of five for me so rock um yeah i gave a five point or i gave a five out of five for ferris bueller and uncle buck um those are two movies that i can rewatch quite a bit where i mean with this movie i I know that it's a good movie. I know that like the writing and the dialogue is really good. Like you said that it's timeless. It's evergreen. You know, you could kids now could still relate to it. Um, and all the performances are really strong. The soundtrack's great. All that. I guess 
the things that get me with it is it is kind of slow and it, it might not be it's not as funny as like ferris bueller it ha- deals with a little heavy drama i know but it's a, you know it's got a little <laughs> heavier subject matter than ferris bueller but you know if i'm going with the other hughes movies we talked about and i don't know i feel like this movie it's it's good but at times i feel like it's a little overrated when people are like ranking teen like teen movies the greatest teen movies of all time and it's almost always like the breakfast club is number 1 i feel like it's overhyped yeah yeah it's super hyped up um and you know i do like to rewatch it from time to time but it's not one that like if i want to watch a john hughes movie i'm not instantly reaching for breakfast club so you know for that i got to knock it down a little bit and i give it a 4.5 out of 5 you filthy douchebag <laughs> get out right now i'm blocking you from this call and I, I i've even talked to you know people of a that generation about 80s movies you know craig's one of those where he loves the breakfast club and i've i've said before like i don't know like i like it but i like ferris bueller and i like weird science more where um you know, he likes us too, but like a lot of people are just kind of surprised by that, but I don't know what it is. Now, see, I, I can be on your side from saying like, if I had to rank these in order, mm-hmm. I would give it Ferris Bueller's day off breakfast club, uncle buck Dutch on which I think are best. Yeah. That's how mine would go too. <laughs> yeah. So I, I can totally get behind that, but I mean, I feel obviously we had some other rankings different, but I feel like just as far as like for what they are meant to be, as I said, breakfast club being more of the drama and Ferris Bueller being more of the comedy, you know, uh, five out of five. So you're just dead wrong and (laughs) a complete douchebag. Pardon my French, but you're an asshole. (laughs) Uh, I should have that as a soundbite so I can push play on that every once in a while. Oh, that'd be great. But yeah, now that you hate me, uh, so next month is December. Which is so the we best figured month ever. We would cover one of the greatest Christmas movies ever. And Caleb's favorite Christmas movie. So we thought we'd cover the whole series. And next month we're gonna be covering every single Die Hard movie. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I how it's many... only fair because I usually pick October. So when you came up with the idea of doing Die Hard and we just did like all the Halloween movies, I'm like, let's go for it. <laughs> <laughs> how many are there? Now that I'm trying to think. Enough. Is it just five, I think? Um, I think so. There's like some extra McLean movie, but I think that's something else. Yeah, there's five. Die Hard, Die Hard 2, Die Hard with a Vengeance, Live Free or Die Hard, and A Good Day to Die Hard. Yeah, I have not seen the latest one. I just realized that. I haven't either. You know, I don't know if I've ever seen all of Die Hard with a Vengeance, and I know I've seen the first two multiple times. Oh, yeah. The first two are totally classic. So Yeah. Um, I, we Are we going to have to... Of course, this is the perfect time to be discussing this while we're still recording. We're going to have to 
do one, two, three, four. Five. Nope, we've got uh, five weeks. Perfect. So it, it just fell in perfect this time. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. But yeah, so get ready to get into some action. Get into Christmas get into spirit. The life. Get into Christmas spirit with John McLean. <laughs> So until then, as always, be kind and rewind.